What you are about to hear is the Hashtag Cult Podcast. What is a Hashtag Cult? Hashtag Cults are groups that signal membership by using a hashtag or keyword. This allows the group to operate on many different sites and makes them difficult to pinpoint. They use the hashtag model to spread propaganda on a variety of social media platforms without having a central account. This is usually because their ideas are offensive or their methods of communicating are abusive and border on website policy violations. In this show, we will show you the coercive groups and cults hiding in plain sight on the internet. Shalom. Shalom. How are you? It's been a week. <laughs> it's been a week. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's always a nice reminder to uh, remember that I'm chained to this meat sack for now, however much I longer. I hope you're using a metaphor. And at the same time, I'm hoping you're not using a metaphor. <laughs> Uh, I just because like saw seven chained to a meat sack. Like <laughs> I really like. That's a really. Gr- I might Photoshop you chain. What like is the sack made out of meat? Like is it is I, it using several pieces of roast beef stretched? Maybe some carpaccio. I just imagine a plastic bag filled with various meats. Now the chain like in sh- that instance. But here's what I'm saying: the chain in that instance, it would have to be a very heavy plastic, wouldn't it? It would. Maybe, hey, who maybe. are you before we start talking about plastic <laughs> meat bags? My name? My name's Paulina Pinsky. And what's yours, sir? I would be Mike Fallick. Uh, we are doing a, a podcast and documentary about hashtag cults. You've heard what a hashtag cult is. Um, but today, we're going to do something different. Because, well, hashtag cults exist on the internet, don't they, Paulina? And They do. There's this attitude that the internet sucks. And I'm of the opinion that it doesn't. And I think that there's lots of places that do suck and the good places are not going to fix that. But today, me and Paulina are going to talk about the positive, like cool places and things you can do on the internet with people and by avoiding people. Um, (laughs) Avoiding people is key, I think. I think so. I mean, I play video games. I take no satisfaction over the idea that a video game is a collective process. I don't need to play multiplayer. I don't need to play with people. I I don't see it as a thing. And there seems to be this social pressure in video games. So I'm coming right off the bat and being like, hanging out alone on the internet, totally viable, fulfilling, not empty experience. Um, You know, that's kind of ironic because the internet in and of itself connotes people and connects people go to the internet connects and connotes. It connotes people. It goes, is this the person using me right now? And sometimes (laughs) it's wrong. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's 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 the scary part of the internet. But the fun part of the internet is nice people. I wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. uh, what video games are you referring to exactly? Well, for example, um, I'm a big fan of of the Halo franchise, not because of any sort of uh, lore or anything like that. Um, 
I just think the games are so brutally difficult. And I'm a big fan of retro games, which are brutally difficult. I see no, I don't, my memory of that game is not like many players are, or like many players that talk about it on the internet, playing online multiplayer, fighting against people, fighting with friends. My, I did those things, I didn't enjoy them. My good memories of that game are beating it on its hardest difficulty setting. I don't think, and I think there's pressure, rather, I'm going to say what I think rather than what I don't think. I think there's pressure on gamers to be like, look at all these fun things everyone's doing online together and that that's somehow it's an empty experience if you don't do that and especially in the video game you know world there's a lot of people that are drawn to video games that might not be as outgoing and some of them might become outgoing because of video games that's not important to the experience you know you know when i think about interactive gaming experiences i think about sitting and watching my brothers play halo Mm -hmm. uh i could never figure out how to move my head correctly like i always ended up looking up at the sky and then getting (laughs) marked (laughs) it's just like god damn it um but from what i could hear in their headsets uh i feel like and i have no experience with playing interactive uh, Halo, but from what I've uh, experienced by proxy, it's just a lot of twelve-year-old shouting. And what I'll say to that is, the response right now of a lot of gamers when they hear those kind of things is to be like, "Well, it's this," or "Well, it's not that," or "Or, or, or," but it has this value, or it has that value. And I think they think, which is a big theme that I've learned over the years with especially in my documentary, Telephone Dieting, there's a lot of people that think they have to say something. And they don't think of themselves as extroverts, but they are having these sort of extrovert symptoms. They think they have to defend online play. And what I would say to you is, yeah, I don't know. I don't care. It's not a part of how I play the game. So, Mm. and I'm only saying that not to be glib towards you, but to be like, hey, yeah, that, that might be that. I don't know. I'm not less of a gamer because I don't have an opinion or less of a Halo fan because I don't have an opinion on online play. Here's my question. My next question. If you're, you're going to, this is to anybody who actually plays video games, they're going to be like, what year is it? How have you not played video games? But I have not. Uh, My question is, if you're not, if you don't have a headset on and you're playing with other people, can you still hear what other people are saying? No, especially in the Xbox. Um, more recently, you probably could. Um, but it's a matter of like doing a podcast. It's actually It'll actually be probably really self-explanatory why this feature doesn't exist. Until recently, it was very difficult to engineer microphones to not have what's called um, a feedback loop, I believe is the term. The guy you're living with could know it better. But essentially... It's a very new technology in the world of audio to have a speaker playing something out loud and your microphone not to pick it up, put it back into the broadcast because it's a phone call and start running through and running through over and over and over again, um, especially in digital technology. We've had speakerphone for, for a while, but like, in other words, it, it, the headset was a necessity for the technology to work faster. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So that's the first thing. Now you you could set that thing, um, but you know, Halo is an. I guess you don't understand this. You might not know this too. Halo is an offline game too. You there's a can't what's called a campaign. So you don't have to play the game playing with others. Even 
And most people didn't own a headset for large eras of these games. It was very expensive to own a headset, and you couldn't just have it running through your speakers. Um, I want to hear your Halo origin story. When did you encounter it for the first time? Uh, well, I, I well, it was a cultural phenomenon when we were children, so you couldn't not encounter it. Um, yeah. But I didn't own an Xbox. Um, I w- had... Um, so me and my brother... And my sister, to a certain extent, uh, had a video game system we shared. And then, on occasion, because I really liked video games, one occasion in particular, my N64, I got my own system years after it was sort of popular because it was cheaper and it wasn't a ridiculous thing to get one kid as a birthday present. Right. Um, I started playing i played halo kids at people's houses i felt unincluded honestly the idea of social gaming when you don't own the game is sort of annoying because it takes a lot of practice which people don't talk about to be good at a game so essentially you just show up to people's houses to get beaten at the game and it's like okay and then when you win they're like oh but you didn't really beat me it's like dog i play this game like once a week every if we hang out once a week like chill um i uh found and Xbox in, in in Alston, in Boston, which is part of Boston, there's a thing called Alston Christmas where people leave um, stuff on the streets is the best way I can say it. Everyone in Alston has to move on September 1st, all at the same time. You must be out of your apartment on August 31st and in your next one on September 1st. That's called Alston Christmas because people will, with an inability to store their stuff, throw it on the street. Um... And you can go take it for free. And as a part of that, there's a large used culture in Boston. It'll be interesting this year to see how Alston Christmas plays out. Um, but you just find stuff. There's, there's used stores. There's, and so I found an Xbox, and I have been collecting retro games for a few years now. I had not played the Xbox. There was a, a copy of Halo included in this pile of junk left on the street. And I decided to beat it all and get really good at the game. That was three years ago that's wild that you just found an xbox in the world of collecting video games old video games like that thing at the time was garbage and not worth any money like the right move is if you have to lug around this 30 pound machine or have a good move like throw away the old xbox is not a horrible move for that for your unforesightedness i can't let old technology go to waste i'm the guy that people give old computers to and old tvs to and old speakers to uh because i i do believe it goes thrown out for the wrong reason but if it makes your move easier because you have nowhere to live because of the rules of alston christmas yeah someone will pick up that thing how many electronics do you own just elect just things with like like as if i was explaining it to a pioneer <laughs> you know, I'm just imagining a, a room full of v- VHS players. I only recently got rid of my VHS player and VHS converter, which would allow me to download VHS videos onto a computer. Um, so that was that was a recent thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like I I'm peeling back the layers of an onion here. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm finding out about this secret hoard of electronics. That's just like hiding somewhere in your in your in your room. Well, you know what it is for me is I'm obviously into m- m- videos and video games and video games is like I have a compulsion to learn everything 
about something before I so like if you tell me like Mike Fallick as a kid you're gonna learn about stand up like I had to listen to Henny Youngman before I would listen to anything else I had to know that's the how, history and I wouldn't move important. on yeah that's important so when you say to someone how many electronics do you own it's like it's not so simple as just be into video games it's like no let me get my hands on an Atari and then we'll start talking about other games okay and I have to really understand the details of it before with the art everything about it what the what the how the gameplay works and then I'll move forward it's not a good way to enjoy art don't copy me I know this sounds like <laughs> like a weird and admirable trait and I'm trying to be like oh, I'm so different and knowledgeable I'm very much in pain enjoying art most of the time I don't have fun if you're out there just buying whatever new movies and things are good do that I am the sick one Pauline is right <laughs> listen we're all sick ones at this point you know so <sighs> I love that you've I love that you've diverted the question into talking about me and my video game collection so that you don't have to talk about the internet but let's do one for you what's something okay. that you feel you you do on the internet Let's not even focus on following up on my question. What's something? I mean, <laughs> do you play phone games? Statistically, if I don't, if I want to uh, reveal something about phone games, uh, women. And I've told this to you before. Women play more games than men. They are the reason there's a video game industry. Women play many more video games than men, is in terms of sheer numbers and spending cost. Um, Wait, really? Yes. You have not told me that. Yes. I would have remembered that. Yeah. Oh, or Well, I did tell you, but yes, let's say it. Let's react now as if, <laughs> oh, yes, Paulina, this is new. Um, yeah, no, this is a thing people don't know. The, pa- the Pac-Man fever, the game designer specifically looked at the scope of games and said, none of these will look appealing to someone with girly sensibilities. Why, why isn't there, for example... Pink characters, any are we so macho that we can't make a character pink? And so he said, I'm gonna make a pink. You know what? Why isn't there pastel blue characters? I'll make one pastel blue. Yeah, and and that act alone, and having that and especially Miss Pac-Man and all these different things, that act drew women to Pac-Man. Not because it was like a game for girls, it was just because it's like these are this weird macho image of games. Can you make something approachable to everyone? And they are a large reason, if you want to use demographics, which I, I kind of find also problematic. They are a large reason Pac-Man Fever was a thing. And to this day, women play puzzle games predominantly more. That is the number one game played in the world. And they spend more money on it than men. Women are the reason video games are an industry, not men in terms of a consumer base. I mean, I, I love that revelation. Uh, it it does really uh, shift how I view video games, for sure. Uh, but I can't say that I am the one buying those video games because my heart belongs to The Sims through and through. However, I don't deal with the internet aspect of it. I don't, like, upload my Sims consciousness to the interwebs because I don't want people knowing what I'm doing. Because I make my my Sims do weird shit. (laughs) Like, recently, I downloaded the Parenthood expansion pack. I guess I'm paying for those video games, for Sims expansion packs. And I got really, really dedicated to raising my children well. 
But then when I became the penultimate parent, I lost interest and I started wrecking the family. It was, you know, I don't need people to see that. I don't need people to see that, you know? Well, if it helps uh, you, the game that it was based on um, that, that sort of started this revolution was uh, Sim City, in which you could randomly, if you wanted to, uh, throw a tornado out there and kill all your city. So ruining one family is for the series itself uh, not so bad. Um but let's but again good job the dodging internet. the internet i know i'm i'm dodging but, the but, internet but, 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 because wait, uh, let me tell you something before you answer that that shows you how exclusionary social cultures can be on the internet and not inclusionary you have decided you're not a gamer you have logged more hours than most people have i know the sims you've logged more video game hours than most people who say they're a quote video gamer and, I, but they're making you feel other because you're a woman and because you're you're not playing the games that they talk about on the internet. You're you are a gamer if you play The Sims. Do you want to know how many hours I've spent on The Sims? Oh yes, oh yes, I do. I'm pulling it up right now. Okay, I will pull up how many hours I played the last Pokemon game I played, which was a few years ago. Pokemon game, that's amazing. Um, okay, here we go. My game library, The Sims Four. All right, are you ready for this? Yeah. 240 hours that's that's pretty good compared to just on the one pokemon game 254 hours on this one game i own many yeah so you're a gamer paulina and that's just on the one that you're a gamer those are real gaming hours why that's what them that's what we're trying to say about the effect of the internet is we're dealing with these groups that are sort of saying we need a comment section we need this social interaction and yet here's this person who likes this thing and we're having a conversation about do you play video games and it's taken her looking up <laughs> the hours she's played <laughs> to be like maybe i've spent like what is that nine straight collective days playing this game <laughs> maybe i like this thing it's like you would never if there if the internet didn't exist you would never hesitate to be like yeah i love video games and it, it's not a bad thing it doesn't take anything away from you as a gamer other gamers that are men i'm talking to specifically right now to be like yeah this social element is isolating people and it's for sure isolating to not just women but to me a man who's like you saying that i have to play certain games and act a certain way is making me feel like i don't have my hobby and that is the fault of the internet yeah so that's how we've yeah. avoided the internet what's something you do why don't you want to talk about the internet because i feel conflicted about the internet as of late i think i used to feel much safer on it and i used to engage with it more freely and now i feel like i have more trepidation than i did prior let's go back um, let's go into the internet archive machine and google paulina internet archive 2003 what did you used to do on the internet that was free i've always been a social media girl mm -hmm. through and through talk to me Starting in MySpace. Oh, you know, yeah. Organizing that top three, top four, top seven, whatever I decided, whoever I wanted to put on a pedestal and, and rank uh, <laughs> became a very big deal in middle school. Uh, I loved being able to, you know, change the song. Sean K Kingston's Beautiful Girls was a big song on mm -hmm, mine. Of course. I, uh, no, I, I didn't use MySpace in that era. I had assumed Sean Kingston's Beautiful Girl was just what MySpace played. So this is interesting to hear you could change that. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I kind of, like, I loosely learned how to use HTML because I was, like, programming my profile to have, like, stars falling down. I've actually heard like, that before. I've actually heard that before from people. Yeah. That's crazy. But if you asked me if I can computer program, I would say no. Because well, I, you know, because I can't see what's in front of me. So, but now you know? specifically what you're afraid of is social media. Yeah, I mean, it's really become something entirely different. Mm. Um, I think, you know, as a, uh, what, in 2003, what year, what was I? I was probably, it, I was a in human. middle school. Okay. I, I, I was a human being, okay. I was breathing. You hadn't gone through your, um, your, your, your pupa stage. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't uh, metamorphosed Metamorphized, yet into, thank you. you know, I, there, hey. I got you. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, it was hard for me to understand the ways in which I was making myself accessible. And I think now it's hard to kind of dip back into the sort of place, playful aspect mm. of social media. Um, but I will say something that, that the internet has been really, really lovely about is my writing. Um, I've you know, connected with people and published and uh, primarily right now I'm on Medium, which mm -hmm. is actually a really amazing platform that I recommend uh, everyone to get on because uh, if you can write something that, that gets a lot of views, you get paid, which is really nice. Mm. A lot of writing on the internet is writing for free. Yeah, and I can say so, explicitly right now, me, I want to say this as an artist before we move forward for both of us, see if you agree with me. Me putting something out there for free and connecting with people doesn't prevent me from thinking that your platform is dog shit because you don't pay people. Me having mm -hmm. a beautiful experience with other people and you happen to be involved, like you don't get credit for that. The human spirit gets credit for that. You get credit for getting hits, views, and boosts to your business and not paying people. And that's your fault and blame. The fact that humans will always find each other, get together and share beautiful, artistic and emotional moments. You didn't invent that. You invented a website and you refused to pay people for you profiting off of the human experience. That's how I feel as an artist about free platforms. Yeah, I completely agree. Have you watched uh, The Social Dilemma, the Netflix documentary? Okay. Point number three. I don't watch anything on Netflix. <laughs> no, uh, no, I haven't watched. You don't? Uh, no, I was. Um, I'm on a. Oh. I was making a comedy joke. I'm sorry. Oh, I was like, wait, this is a groundbreaking moment. It is. Like, we why baked don't the, you watch we baked it? the ground. It's all made out of bread. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't seen. I haven't seen the social dilemma. But it is a good way for you to dodge talking about how you like something on the internet. Well, I, what I was going to say. Talk about medium. Well, okay. Medium is something my brother, uh, during Thanksgiving of last year, was like, hey, do you know Medium? And I was like, no. And he was like, you can get paid to write on there. And, I, and anytime anybody says something like that to me, I'm like, nah, yeah, sure. Whatever. Yes. The correct response, uh, everyone. Not close-minded. <laughs> yeah. You don't know how many people <laughs> say shit like this to you. Like, all I the mean, time. It was coming from my brother, so I wasn't going to Even listen. worse. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I... Don't rem I think I really needed money. And so I looked up Medium and I pulled a piece about going on a date with a 40-year-old from my graduate thesis and it blew up. It I got 
over like 15,000 views and $1,500. Crazy. And I felt like I had struck gold. Um, And so I've been publishing on Medium ever since. Uh, I'm kind of, you know, as a writer, I'm in this sort of liminal space because I'm both like trying to jump into the literary sphere, but I'm not having as much luck getting into literary things. And Medium seems to be a place in which my writing thrives. But you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You know, like, I'm just going to keep going with it, keep rolling with it, see what happens. Um, And I guess that's kind of what's so exciting about the internet is that it it both feels full of opportunity, but also a little unstable. And so you never know how long the good is going to last. Or how long someone realizes like, oh, that's that's going on. I have a question for you because my my, Rini's family turned me on to this question. I did not know what the word liminal space meant until I met Rini and her family. Um, liminal spaces are areas in the world. It's like a real literal term and a metaphorical term that feel like you are somehow outside of the rules of regular life. And I would love for us to list our real favorite physical liminal spaces. For example, mm. um, someone in Rini's family, their favorite uh, place is rest stops. Mm. You know, it's not it's not really anywhere. It's on the side of a road. It's not it doesn't really exist anywhere, you know, for someone not working there. I should say for you just visiting the rest stop. It's just this place you go. It it, it ceases to exist after you leave. It, you know, it, it's it's this liminal space for me. It is driving between the hours of 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. I think that that mm. is a space on the road that is. Wow, it's just not part, it's not part of this planet. Do you have a favorite physical liminal space? My favorite liminal space is when I walk into a subway car and nobody's in it. Ooh, that's a good one. Right? That's I've, awesome. I've like swung on the the like poles, like running through, just like swinging. Uh, that was a demonstration no of swinging. I assume that noise was. <laughs> yeah, I was swinging my arms. Uh, yeah. And I, the other one that I would think of is, and I don't know if this one works as well, but I feel like the ocean is kind of a liminal No, space. that's a great one. I agree, because I don't go in the ocean. I hate the beach. Oh, you're so wrong. Push the beach it's back the- into the ocean. Could care less. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a... When those waves crash, I'm like, finally, beach canceled. And then they go roll back and I go, <laughs> no, not again. And that's one of the reasons I don't go. I am always optimistic the beach will go away. Which is a real well, environmental I, problem. Don't at me. I know it's a, I know it's an issue. <laughs> you and Zach are on the same page. Yeah. I, however, strongly disagree. Uh, when I was in Hawaii last year, I met a Reiki le- healer who told me that when you walk into the ocean, you have to say, I release all that does not serve me on all space, time, and dimensions. And I love that because it's so, it, it kind of conjures how expansive the ocean is and how much it can receive you can i tell Um, you why i love this show you and i should hate each other like (laughs) here's what i didn't like about that story every word of it if that had happened to me (laughs) if you had if you described to me if you if i said to you if i recall that memory for you and i was like paulina remember how that reiki master 
Reiki, as you said, a Reiki master told you that great thing about why going into the ocean clears your soul, you'd be like, yeah, that was a great memory. If you reminded me of that, I'd be like, don't remind me of the time the Reiki master told me to go to the beach. Like, literally, I'm still not over it. Like, <laughs> I just I just like this show. <laughs> me too. Me too. You know, it's it's important to come back down to earth every once in a while. And I appreciate that you pull my leg down and we're down here. But, but yeah. I also want to talk about, in 2016, mm-hmm. have you heard of a Finsta? Hold on, I'll ask Reenie if I should be embarrassed to admit I'm not. Reenie? Yes. Have I heard of a Finsta? Finsta? Yeah. I don't know what that is. We both don't know what it is. Go ahead. Oh, I have knowledge. Okay. Well, well, but there's sometimes where since, I live under a rock and I and I should be more ashamed that I don't know what something is. Is this one of those instances, uh, though, maybe? No, I mean, this is more if you're like in with teenagers. Oh, okay. This is like a, a Gen Z thing. Okay. That I was pretty into for a period of time. So Finsta stands for fake Instagram. Wow, I feel like such an old person. Wait, we are into this. I think this is uh, that. Who's that girl we like? McQuella? Lil McQuella. I think this is, is Lil McQuella one. I am unfamiliar with Mil- Lil McQuella, but I'm just hedging I'm my bets intri- to look I'm cool. I'm intrigued. The teens all it hate probably, me Probably it sounds, you know, it sounds it sounds like a finsta. So go ahead. What's a finsta? So essentially, you have your primary account, right? right? You have your account that people know it's you, and you post all your happy pictures there, and that's where you advertise things. And then you have your Finsta, which is a private account with either close internet friends or close IRL friends. And I used my Finsta through the years 2016 to like 2018 uh, to sort of catalog my body image journey. And I kind of inadvertently created this small little Finsta community of like body positive folks. And it felt like the safest, most liberating space. If something happened in my life, like I I went through a breakup and it was messy and I was able to just write everything out and people would respond and, and lift me up and tell me where I was wrong. And it just felt like I was a part of a community for a period of time. I have 4,008 questions. I'm so ready to answer each and every one. What of them. would okay? Will you say the name of what it was on the air or no? Is that violate a, a secondary uh, part of that question? Does that violate sort of the rules of the Finsta to reveal the name in such a public way? I will reveal it because it doesn't exist under that name anymore. But does it violate uh, the rules of the spirit of Finsta to reveal the name in such a public way? Usually, yes, okay. yes. Uh, I will say that the name of my Finsta was also the name of my graduate thesis. Okay. And so they all kind of worked together. I feel like I learned a lot about my written voice through what I posted on on my Finsta, and it, it inadvertently became entangled in my artistic process and also just my body image journey, especially after, you know, being in recovery and, you know, there aren't, I mean, there are Instagram accounts that are dedicated to eating disorder recovery, but they all feel so focused on food. And it's just like, I didn't want that. I didn't need that. And so I kind of created content that I needed to see for myself. Mm. This is fascinating. Now, what's interesting to me is 
I want to say this in the bluntest way possible, and then if you need me to walk it back, I'll say it. It's just so fascinating that the thing that sometimes gets attached to the shitty people on the internet being anonymous, right? That's what shitty people do. Allowed you to understand that you had the freedom to do whatever you wanted and be positive, and that built you into a better person. But yet, mm-hmm. it is those same anonymous commenters that are affecting you negatively, and now you feel as though you can't use the internet. It's so mm-hmm. it's so interesting mm-hmm. that like the technique of your enemy is the technique that made you a better person. Do you know what I mean? There's some there's some irony flip here. What what stops you from? I don't know. What stops you from harboring that same attitude to be able to ignore these people? Not that you should have to ignore them, by the way. But I'm but right. I'm just asking why that I don't think I'm bold enough to go on Instagram and make a fake account. I think I would feel weird in in, in that way. It seems like that seems like somebody who has kind of a good grasp on what the internet is, is that there exists fake accounts. There exists, I guess it's not quite a question. It's more just like, what, how does that change happen? How do, yeah, the cognitive dissonance is a little jarring, but I think. But it's jarring to you now. The person in the past sounds healthier with their relationship in the, with the internet. I'm saying you sound like it's shitty for you now. The person who's able to be like, I just have this fun account and it means nothing and let's have fun on the internet. That sounds like you're having a good time on the internet. Now it sounds yeah. like you're having a bad time. Well, how does that change? How do you get into having a bad time? You know, I th- what ended up happening with my Finsta is people started finding out about it and they were people that I knew casually in college and so I accepted them. However, I went from, you know, 40 followers to like 100 Mm. and it no longer felt like a sacred space and no longer felt like a space that was for me. It felt more like a space that I was performing for others. And whenever I tried to approach it with the same sort of vulnerability, it felt too exposing because the audience hadn't earned the right to read that material. Um, That being said, I think... I learned a lot about vulnerability through the the Finsta. I think I learned what lines I'm willing to straddle and what information I'm willing to disclose. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of the lifespan of my Finsta, the, the mistake I made was allowing too many people in. So my question with your, with your Finsta is... Yes. Yeah. Why is it that you needed to feel you needed to let these people in? What com- I, I mean, mm. go back to that moment. You see Derek. He's like, oh, yeah, Derek. He lent me a pencil like 12 times in that one class. I could never remember a pencil. And he was my pencil friend. And I, you know, I bought him a whole pack of pencils at the end of the year. Okay, that guy. He finds your Finsta. Why let him in? You know, that would be even more of a close connection than some of the folks I let Really? In. Yeah, and I think it's because I'm people-pleasing and I'm afraid of making people feel alienated. And so rather than protecting my space, I let them in because I have shitty boundaries. Um, I I also have had experience where I've, you know, unfollowed someone that I slept with in college and then they DM me asking why I unfollowed. Oh, boy, huh? (laughs) Yeah, so it's just like... 
I think now that I'm a little bit older, I'm less afraid of hurting people's feelings when it comes to protecting myself. Um, I think at the time, because the community was so open and accepting and and interesting and intelligent, I kind of felt like, oh, more the merrier. But it kind of created this weird, mm. you know, like I would post and then someone I didn't remember following me would like it and that would make me feel overexposed and then I would kind of you know spiral about that and then I would try to unfollow them and then they would follow me again you know like that that is a common interaction that happened multiple times I often say yeah go on yeah I think that's because we all feel that we have more access to each other than we really do now here's the question too because I know you've had reticence about this Ooh, why not block those people from the Finsta? I, you know, I was thinking about you the other day uh, and your philosophy of like, if you don't play nice, you get blocked. Yeah. And that is a new philosophy to me. And I think that blocking as a form of self-care is something that needs to be discussed a little bit more regularly. Um, but I think in those moments, it felt it felt too harsh. It felt too harsh to block people that I knew. You know, there's this idea in entertainment, and it happens in a lot of things. And, and, and that is how I view this lens. You know, that, that should be it, is that I'm an artist. If I'm doing this, it's to make people happy. Um, and so there's this idea that certain shows and certain clubs and comedy and now really good streamers like my my colleague asmr kitten which i want to talk about asmr in this for sure has a chat at 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 clubs at at comedy clubs and shows someone will come on and say no flash photography and the reason that someone does that and often someone not in the show does it and, and with streamers, it is in the show. You know, she'll come on and go, please, you know, follow the rules of the chat. You know, I, I, I could probably get her exact language up in particular, but there's lots of ASMR people and streamers that go, you know, these are the rules. Don't don't break the chat. The, the, the moderators will block you. Don't turn off your cell phones. You know, uh, please don't talk. Or, you know, at very serious shows, like, you know, the doors will be closed in between acts and all those things. The, the modern thinking that I think lots of people fall into when you make a micro independent thing is right. Like we're told your personality and I don't actually agree with the second part. Your personality will draw people in and that's what's important. It's like, that's not what's important. That's a fake thing that these platforms are putting on you. Do you know what it does when someone says, if you follow, if you don't follow the rules, you get blocked. It makes the good people who have it together go, Oh, you know, they breathe. They go, oh, someone will, someone will do something about this. I can relax. I can relax. And people will, the people who are restraining, you know, if you're there the whole time, just thinking, when does this start? And when does this end? This, this, this type of interaction, it's not safe for anyone. Chiefly, chiefly yeah. you. Because if the entertainer is taking on the role of, well, every time someone makes a comment, they get to make that comment. And I can't do anything about it because I want people to like me. Well, no one's ever going to like your show. They'll like you. They'll like your work. But the experience of being there is just going to be like, when does someone block this idiot? When do, why do I have to be subject to it? 
You know? Yeah. If you don't play nice, yeah. you get blocked. It's it's a rule in many, many things. Sports, ice hockey. If you don't play nice, you sit in the penalty box. You have to play nice. If you don't if you don't play nice in basketball, someone gets a free shot. That's that's how it works. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think I think as a person, I'm way more self-protective than I was in my early 20s. Mm. I think kind of the way I was acting online is symbolic of the ways in which I was acting in real life. Mm. And I, I think that there's an intersection between online behavior and real life behavior um, that it can, in this weird kind of nuanced way, like the ways in which you you know, discipline people who step on your toes is going to be emblematic of how you deal with people interpersonally. Mm. And I think as a person, I wasn't really sure of who I was. I was starting to feel confident for the first time in my life, but I didn't have very strong boundaries. And, you know, I think that social media can exploit people with with shitty boundaries and i think that most of us because we exist on social media have really shitty boundaries and that being said i think now that i think about it it kind of dissolved pretty recently i i noticed that one of the people who followed me who was part of the finsta community blocked me Mm. and it felt like a betrayal it was like what could i have done that warranted that i haven't even been posting what did i do to deserve being blocked and i think that that's something also to talk about is how do you cope with being blocked yourself you know and and for presumably nothing that you're conscious of um yeah and i think that was sort of the final straw for me where it was like, well, this community doesn't exist in the same way it does but anymore. And I tried to make another Finsta. I tried to make, an- make another one and follow a few people and it, it just like, it, the magic was gone. Mm. And I think that that's kind of, you know, it's important in all communities, right? Every community flourishes and has their prime and, you know, things ebb and fall. I, I, I've been watching a lot of rock climbing documentaries. <laughs> They're intense. They're very good, but How I think many are there? there's so many. There's so many because a lot of rock climbers are also like photographers and videographers. It's in an effort to make rock Nehru? climbing the most insufferable hobby on the planet. Oh, are they poets dude, as well? You, <laughs> listen, these guys they are make their free climbing own. up crazy walls. I am like here's your rock climbing listen. equipment, a camera, and your starter to a sourdough that you're never going to shut up about. Here you go. <laughs> this is your horrible person starter kit. Here's a weird bucket hat as well. Have fun. Well, what I was, you know, trying to allude to is that, you know, there are ebbs and flows in everybody's life and everybody's relationships. And I think, you know, internet communities can have their glory days and then they can die out. And I think probably more quickly because, you know, it's not a interpersonal interaction that requires you to physically show up. I'll say this again, too, because I'm public on record about this on like every show I'm ever on. They are not a community. Okay? Communities are... And this is just being pedantic and I'm going to make a point. I'm not shitting on what you said. It was beautiful. Uh, (laughs) But let's get to the negative. People you know on the internet is not your community. Okay? 
Your yeah. community is of the that word is again internet companies. And I'm not being conspiratorial here. They know they're doing it. It's what you do in business. You make things sound better than it is. But using that term doesn't mean I have to give it the respect that that term fully has. Calling the people who watch Paulina's Instagram videos a community is really insulting to real communities. Like, it's not a community. We watched a video together. Internet communities are oftentimes, if if you have a community that exists on the internet, great. There is no gamer community. You know what I mean? That is really putting down the way that humans connect to each other. And that's what I would say about getting trapped in these thinkings about whether I should block or whether whatever, what should I do? It's just a toy. You know, people can, you can really hurt people on it. But like the idea that if someone's hurting you, you don't want to block them because you have this sense of community, then it's no longer a safe toy, then it does become a dangerous toy. When someone's posting Mm. stuff that's hateful, they're the ones who turned it into a dangerous toy. Not you by excluding people. You know, Mm. there isn't an age of innocence on the internet. It's an intolerance for not innocent people, for people guilty of doing stuff on the internet. There's this this lack of being like, we're intolerant to you screwing up and saying mean shit. That's how we should be. We're intolerant of you saying mean things. And if you if you repent, maybe you can get back on. Now, I've interacted with people who get blocked. And guess what? They make new accounts because they're that abusive. And you have to block them again. There are people like this on the internet. And you're not going to solve their issue by letting them use you as therapy. That That's my opinion from this is that it's a bigger problem than you is what I've learned from hashtag cults. It's... Mm. You're not going to fix it by letting them hang out. And it's not a community. It's people enjoying a puppy video. If that's a community, throw society into the sun. Like, that's not, what are you, oh, wow, what is this village I've come upon in the woods? Hello, we are people who once in a while click on the same link. Oh, I welcome me, welcome me to your village. I bring you gifts. Like, it's not a community. Yeah, I, I want to push back, though, because I think. Let's do it. You know, I I do agree that I think being a part of a community means showing up bodily, right? There has to be a a kinesthetic. Oh, I'm I'm not saying about body. It can be on the internet. You can have a community, but if it isn't showing up mind wise, I think is more important. Is I think that they use the word gaming community on things, and they use the word whatever you know this art form community or this thing community. It's not a community if all you're doing is enjoying the same links and movies every once in a while. That's not a community. That's a pale, pale facsimile. Well, I will say the Finsta community that I was a part of was way more interpersonal and less about what you consume and more about posing questions bringing forth ideas you know i think oh i want to be clear you're sounded really heartwarming and i'm not i'm not really talking about that i'm talking about falling for the word the casualness that we throw the word community around yeah i think that there needs to be another word for it though because i think that people are excusing internet communities as the real thing and obviously in this moment where we're all virtual, uh, it's kind of inescapable uh, in terms of interacting with people in a virtual way. Um, and so I, I am interested in the ways in which, you know, 
communities, for lack of a better word, morph and and dictate and uh, dictate action outside of the internet and all those various things. I think we're in a very pivotal moment where it comes to, you know, our lives truly being subsumed by online communities, you know? Uh, because w- what else are we doing? It's not like we're interacting with each other face-to-face anymore. Well, but maybe that's a good way for me to explain it. Let me say it this way. I think that, because this all started because of why you would let, why you wouldn't block people into your Finsta community and why you let people in, and this accusation of social media making people feel like they have to become famous. Um, which is hard for me and Paulina as artists because it's like, okay, well, I have to get publicity for my work. Like, I can't change that element of it. But... Like, let's examine your... I think that, that there is a tendency with this word to not recognize that fault in all of us. Like, what is my community? I think that everyone, when they think about that, think about wh- what is my community? Like, in your head right now, imagine the people. I'll guarantee that the first people you think of are the people you interact with most. Your family, probably. People you live with probably those people, your, your boss, maybe your employees, whatever it is, you're going to think of those people first. Maybe some of you are, 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 are sort of lost, though, in what you're associating. Maybe someone out there is including someone they've newly started dating as a part of their community because there's an immediacy to it. Ah, this new person is not really a part of my community. They're a new person I've met. They're a part of my world and I've, I've seen them and maybe they're a friend, but they're not a part of what substantiates you as a village roaming around in the world. Because I guarantee if you list all these people in your head, you're not listing the people that I find essential. If I build a little community right now, I'm thinking about who's in my community. Well, the person who takes out my trash from the dumpster, they're a part of my community, but I don't see them because it's not immediate. But if I'm listing people in my community, they're vital. The people many miles away running the power plants for the energy I use. Yeah, they're, they're, they're part of my community. The person running the internet server that I use for internet, they're part of my community. And it's a culture that, substanti- that, that substantiates itself. And there are people far and wide as a part of it that you don't interact with that much. And I think that what calling internet communities a community does is be like, the people you have immediate interactions with, that's your community. And, and, and I think that's a dangerous precedent to set in the world because it also says that the person who's going to DM you some weird message, they're the important part of your community. And that can cause anxiety mm-hmm. because then you do feel like you're, 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 you're betraying your community when you're like, shut up. Mm-hmm. You don't matter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So earlier on uh, in the pandemic, I was... I was following along the syllabus. I didn't show up to the Zoom meetings because I had too much anxiety about (laughs) interacting with other people. Uh, But I was part of a black feminist self-care study Mm -hmm. group. And there is this amazing disability activist named Mia Mingus. Great uh, name. I know, right? name. Yes. And so um, there's a worksheet. And there's a set, like a gray center in the middle. There's like a circle. It's all a bunch of circles. And then kind of like a flower petal, there's six circles around that one with a, a dark circle. And that's like your immediate pod, right? And then after that, there's another round of circles. And those are kind of like dashes. Mm. And, you know, you can rely on them, but you can't really rely on them. And then there's the big circles, which are the communities you're a part of, right? And so I think 
when we really get down to it, the relationships that help us facilitate our day-to-day life are very different than online communities. Mm-hmm. And those are the relationships that need to be prioritized. Yeah. And I think that we're in this moment where we're prioritizing the relationships that exist online rather than establishing and reinforcing the relationships that help us get through the day-to-day. And so when I read this, it was really transformative and it helped me kind of reevaluate the people. And I think that when we started doing the documentary, I think I was using this term because it was around yeah. the time that I was doing this self-study. Uh, like you guys became a part of my mm-hmm. pod, right? And And... And part of that has to do because we were making art together, but you know, you guys were probably in the sphere because, and, and it was unexpected, and you know, it 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 sprung a beautiful project. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I want everybody to have this worksheet yeah. and to fill this out because I think it's really illuminating, and I think it's 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 based in transform like the healing justice movement, and so I think the internet needs a lot of healing and I think that people in this moment need a lot of healing and so to think about pods I love that word would be helpful yeah it's so much more detached and objective I love it because it's like friend like come on Facebook really you know the same with my friend are you kidding me you know, the, uh, the like my friend's uncle's sister, get out of here, friend on the yeah. cut, get out of here. And it's like a khaki thing my, to say the, at this point, but it's like, I, I, seriously, unfriend? Are you kidding me? The quintessential Facebook experience is being in high school and like seeing like kids like married to each other and like putting each other down as siblings and all these like yeah. weird iterations it's like this is all made up this doesn't make any sense i mean it makes sense because they're exploiting structures that already exist and making us think that we're all friends and friend is a title that actually needs to be earned rather than click yeah. <laughs> um but i think that we should put this this pod mapping worksheet in yeah the let's, get, let's, let's get let's get let's get some resource. permission because this episode won't come out for a while. Let's get some permission and maybe we'll have some people involved in a future episode because I think that's a really powerful thing. I do. I agree. Let's do one fun thing each that we do on the internet to end on a positive note. That is that is fun that we do on the internet that can be a, an inspiration because mostly we've moaned. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, please, a fun comment. Please, please. Paulina. What is something fun um, you do on the internet? Hmm. You know, I will say I get unadulterated pleasure from going to a dance class, having a stranger videotape it, and then put it on the internet. Because. (laughs) Okay. Dance. So dance is such a fraught history for me. And I think being able to go to a dance class and not freak out and then feel, you know, in like I know the dance enough to record it and then you know it's kind of nice to get validated for a thing that used to torture me uh that was I was trying to make it fun and then and then I brought the word torture into it but Look, I that's fun for Paulina using- everyone if you're not going to get on board with torture metaphors <laughs> in dance classes I don't know what you're here for so bottom line posting dance videos on my Instagram brings me a lot of joy I will say that's amazing that you can have someone film your dance and not feel self-conscious that that really again shows a lot of a lot of of, uh self-worth in my opinion baby i'm a performer (laughs) you put the camera on me game over um i'll i'll end with a very inspiring one for me you know i learned about podcasting um 
from Ricky Gervais as a thing that this guy who had created this amazing comedy art that I knew about decided to make a podcast or an internet radio show, whatever it is. And I slipped into unknowingly meeting podcasters via making a choice at a certain point to say, I don't like hanging out in clubs all night to do stand up. Mm. I like making my stand up into film better than I like into animation better than I like actually performing it, but I'll still go to open mics on the auspice that at open mics, I might meet other podcasters and I've met other podcasters and through the internet, mostly though, the inhuman, the in-person experiences were terrible. Stand-up comedy uh, attracts some really great people like Alex Fleming that I know who's like, uh, you know, I'm designing the art for his video game right now. He had a great podcast and he's just a great person. But like unknowingly in just following my performer and promotions instinct of wanting to be a professional podcaster, I met amazing people on the internet that, I, you know, I truly feel connected to the word friend is I think difficult to say for all of them. And I've met some that are not so uh sums up there, but the amount of people I've met, the amount of people Paulina that I've sat down with while they, they have no intention of being a professional podcaster or sometimes they do. And I'm in their home and I'm talking to them and we become more connected, more connected in a way that is professional and then sometimes gets close to friendship is truly amazing now i also think the amateur podcaster has ruined the internet in a lot of ways i'm on record about that they're not necessarily a good thing for art however like the jupiter boys is a podcast nerds without pants is a is a is a podcast uh some other people that know their names that i don't know if their podcast is on the air anymore so i'm not going to say them but like these people that I've sat down with and had hours long conversations with over years, over years. I mean, that is an incredible thing that's happened because of something on the internet. And I want to make the distinction here that while we're being inspiring, do I think that amateur podcasting and the, the illegal and unethical practices that many amateur podcasters operate by is good for my industry? No. Do I on the whole think amateur podcasters are sometimes allowed to do things and make independent podcasters look bad? Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. I met humans through this thing and they were nice. And that was through the internet. Isn't that nice when that happens? Heck, we met through the internet. Yeah, and one of the big powerful things that we mentioned to a lot of people when pitching them on this show is... They have a concern, you know, oh, what can I do to make the recording quality good? And I always say, well, you can do this just to get back to our documentary that we're making about MGTOW because you don't always hear these conversations. They're very specific. But I always go, you can do this. We'd like it if you had a camera to film yourself. If you have a good, you're a podcaster or you make a show. Yeah, use your equipment. Like, we'd love if you could forward us the footage, do all these things. But in the end, I say, you know, the really powerful thing about making this documentary and investigating this group is that what we're going to show at the end of it is sitting at home on the internet me and Paulina and Rini made this thing yeah. we did this we didn't have to leave at the, yeah. we weren't allowed to leave you know 
and we did it all from home and we found good stuff so the idea that the internet is just this place where like there's only shit and everybody's mean it's like no 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 we've made a whole inspiring documentary about how we can fix how there's hope to fix the horrible violent and abusive comments on the internet from the safety of our home should show you like change the way you do the internet if you're not having exactly that much inspiration fuck yeah, yeah. alright I'm gonna pee I'm gonna leave in the part that I have I to, pee to pee in here too. so that people don't think we're so inspired have we have to pee alright I'll be if you or someone you know has experienced a hashtag cult, is trapped in a hashtag cult, or you have been affected by any group mentioned in this show, go to hashtagcult.org for resources or to get in touch with the show. We want to hear your story. 